Hey, folks, I'm Tom. I'm Keith. We're back again to talk about the Dunlap Champions Club. You've heard us give this pitch before, but we're going to go ahead and throw another fastball at you because the Dunlap Champions Club is where you should be each and every Florida State home game. If you've never tried it, you've got to do it at least once. You do it one time, you'll be hooked. It comes with shade. That's key. It comes with chair backs. It comes with all the food you can eat which Keith and I don't need, but that is one of the perks of it. But it's a really good experience. And many of you have been in there socially, maybe outside of a game, so you've seen the space. Some of you still haven't been in the space. You need to call and take a tour. The ability to watch the game from your chair, to go inside where it's cool, to get food, to get drink, to see people and, and, and socialize to whatever degree, that's important to you. Dozens and dozens of televisions on the wall. You won't miss anything. Plus, you can look out the glass and see from from uh, the fourth floor. It, again, it's a place you ought to go and give it a chance. For your tickets, for a tour, for more information, 644-1830. And now, without further ado, Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. We are back. Tom and KJ. Keith, good to see you. Good to be seen. Miami week. Yes, it is. It's like Groundhog Day for those of us that have been around a while. We've done this a few times. Two, two weeks that uh, have been uh, instrumental and important in Florida State football going all the way back to whenever they first played Miami or Florida, whichever one was first. And then you get two of them during the week. It was either Miami week or Florida week. And those two words on any given practice field was all that needed to be said. I think there's many of us that have a long history with this series and it has not been what it once was, but it is still Miami week. For the younger listeners, this the synopsis would be that Miami ripped the heart out of Florida State time and again, including your senior year in a 10-9 defeat. That is correct. That is correct. And then there was 26-25 in 1987, and then there was wide right one and wide right two. Me personally, I stopped keeping track of the wide rights after that. For example... There was a wide left in there somewhere, wasn't there? There was, but Matt Munyon had a missed kick in the 2000 regular season. That one never stung me because Florida State still got to play for the championship that year. So long-term ramifications were not as significant. Yes, Bathia had a couple missed kicks in there. That actually was one of the more painful ones, 2002. See, I can't remember that stuff. That's amazing that you can recall that so easily. 2002 was the game when Nick Maddox and Greg Jones combined to run for like 300 yards on Miami. And somehow Miami came back, had the lead. That script has been played out before. And Bathia missed the kick. And his we've talked about this before. His career stats, if you chart him, his career field goals. Before that missed kick, he was 86%. And the rest of his career at Florida State, he was 62% or something like that. So, I mean, it's a psychological game. I'm sure glad we started this show on a happy note. Well, are you, I thought you were going to ask me how am I doing. And I was going to answer it this way. So go ahead, ask me how I'm doing. How you doing? I, well, if I'm looking back, I'm happy. If I'm looking forward, not so much. Yeah, well, that sums <laughs> it up. It's human nature, though, when you think about it. So this is a great series, whichever side of the ledger you sit on. It's been a great historical series. It's almost even. I don't have it in front 32 of me. 32 to 30. I was going to say, I know if FSU won last year, it would have been tied. So it's 32-30 Miami. 
there's been heartbreak on both sides, clearly, not just on the Florida State side. It's meant a lot in terms of national stakes. But human nature is we always default to the ones that hurt instead of the ones that were fun. Because just before last year, there was a Mm seven-year win streak Mm -hmm. over Miami, if you recall. And and you can fault uh, to whatever degree you want to, uh, Coach Fisher. But, you know, there's there's one thing, I guess the equivalent of two things, that you have got to do as a Florida State head football coach. You have got to beat Miami and you have got to beat Florida. And I think uh, Jimbo was what, seven thirteen and one, seven and one, two? seven and one against both of them. So fourteen and two. You know, you can mess up a lot of other things as long as you keep those two things on the radar. I'm trying to recall, and I I actually looked, and I couldn't find the point spread from 2010 when Florida State went down and surprised Miami. So that was Jimbo's first year. And Miami was ranked 13th. I did see that. Florida. Is that, is that the game when Ponder had the rush, all the rushing yardage? No, that was 2008 okay. when he did that. And Florida State blew a big lead but still won. 2010 was Jimbo's first year. Chris Thompson had a couple of long runs at the end. That's right. He had, he That's had a, right. He had an 80-yarder, and it was called back for holding. And the next play, he goes 90 yards. Now, that was the exclamation point. Bottom line, Florida State was in the top 25. I don't think they were struggling offensively to the degree that they've struggled this year. But nobody thought Florida State was going to win that game is where I'm going with this. And at the end of the day, it was 45-17 FSU. Now, Miami's better now than they were then, and Florida State's probably not as good. But the the bigger takeaway is in these games, the better team doesn't always win. It's a rivalry game. and We say all the time about rivalry games, you can throw out the records. You know, the records are unimportant. Um, you know, going the way back to 79 when Florida State was 10-0 and and Florida was 0-9-1. They were winless. And we were lucky to get out of there with a win. I was going to mention, uh, again, reliving the old days for us old folk. You know, one of the other monumental games in Coach Bowden's career with Miami was his very first game when he went down to, to the Orange Bowl and got smacked 47 to nothing in his first year, 1976. That was the year that the next game they played Oklahoma at Oklahoma, and he started a bunch of freshmen. He, he, he just said, all right, I can't win with the older guys. I'm going to go with the newer, newer guys. And it ended up being a watershed moment leading on into 77 and up through 80 when I when I left. Uh, so it's been a big game, even if it hasn't been, as you alluded to, for so many years on the national specter. It's still a huge and continues to be a huge game at the state level. It's been a really curious rivalry in that the home team has not had a home field edge. And just look at Florida State and Jeff Cameron. We've talked about this. He has that little stinger that plays about the last time Miami won at home in this series. Chris Ricks was quarterback. But if you go back further, so 96 FSU won down there, 98 FSU won down there. Then Miami got to its last national championship stage, 2002, 2002, 2004. The Canes won those three. But 06, 08, 10, 12, 14, I mean, it's a 5, uh, 16 it's remarkable that Florida State's had that success down there. Now, the crowd will be two-thirds Miami and one-third FSU. They- well, this year maybe even more so because I went back and looked at my notes from our ACC kickoff meeting uh, during the summer, and uh, Coach Mark Rick made an unabashed uh, de- declaration back then that Miami only had 500 remaining season ticket sales. I mean, this is the first year since the old Orange Bowl First year that the new stadium has been sold out for home games. 
from a season ticket perspective. So it, it may even be – you're right. It probably is two-thirds, one-third, but it wouldn't surprise me if it's even worse because Miami faithful, though they well, are, ve- they are very – they are very um, – what's the word I want? They, they jump on the bandwagon when the bandwagon is good, and they jump off the bandwagon when, it ain't, when it's rattling down the road. But they'll be in full force on Saturday. Well, that's the city of Miami. It's about being seen at the cool spot. So when LeBron was going big, everybody wanted to be at the did you eat at the cool kids' lunch table? You're interrupting my train of thought. The cool kids' lunch table? Did you eat at the cool kids' lunch table? I, I was able to oscillate through all different groups. I you, had that you've ability. You've seen the new show that got this, me and you, in about another 10 years, don't you? The, cool, the cool kids' TV show? I have not seen this. Oh, you need to watch this. Okay. It's me and you in 10 years. If you're still around. I'll be here. Lord willing. Continue your train of thought if you can catch well, it. Well, now it's gone. I have no idea where that train of thought went. Um, trying to think of other things uh, that, that stand out historically in the FSU-Miami series. Well, kicking game has, has been an issue. And, and it's amazing, the, the running game, the team that rushes the ball with two high-powered offenses for the last 30 years and Heisman Trophy winners at the quarterback position, it's been the running game that has dictated a lot of the success in this series. I guess just thinking recently, Florida State had a much better team almost all the time during this recent seven-game win streak, but a lot of the games, you know, weren't decided until near the end. So uh, there was Miami with, you know, lesser equipped for the fight, and they were hanging right in there per se. You mean a block point after attempt with one minute left? That's that's at the end? Would you say that? I would say that. <laughs> I would say that. Um, you know, Bobby would tighten up in these games. I tell you, there, there was a long-running, long-running thought amongst former players that the coaching staff at Florida State under Coach Bowden did not respond to the Miami game well. It was the coaching staff that, that held everything close to the vest and got nervous and that type of thing. And then Coach Fisher comes along, and Jimbo was anything but. Now, maybe for all the wrong reasons, but there, there was not anything uptight or, or hesitant about his approach to this game. I do think when you look back at the Jimbo era, and I know where we've been, where right now we're in this period where everybody just everything's negative about Jimbo. There were good parts to it. And one of the things that will be tough for Coach Tagger to live up to is that Jimbo was really good in big games. He was seven and one, as we pointed out, against Miami and Florida, winning record in bowl games, had the upper hand against Clemson until things turned south and Clemson got it going. I mean seven and one against each rival, that's pretty tough. Whether they're up, down, in between doesn't matter. That's that's strong. So let's look at this one, and we'll have our Seminoles.com insider Tim Linnefelt join us and, and get some updates from what's going on at practice this week. Paint a picture of the scenario that would have to unfold for Florida State to win this game. They're two touchdown underdogs, basically. Well, and I, I, I suspect, I'm not a betting man, but I suspect as you get further along, it might even get worse. It may go to 16 or 17 points. For Florida State to win this ball game, number one, they've got to score on the opening drive. They've got to get that crowd quiet. Number two, they've so got that, to win. If that doesn't happen, should I just leave? I mean, do I just walk um, off the field at that point? If it doesn't happen, I would say the odds of Florida State winning that are divided by about 10. All I right. mean, it's that significant. Okay. Number two, Florida State has got to have a big play, point play in the kicking game. Return a kickoff, return a punt, block a punt, do something in the kicking game to score points. Thirdly, they're going to have to score points defensively. They need a pick six. They need a scoop and score. They need something. Florida State's got to find two touchdowns, two non-offensive touchdowns, and they've got to not turn the ball over to Miami. 
Now, you start adding all these things up, Tommy, and that means I believe the probability, the possibility of winning is always there. The probability of winning is probably in the in the lower third, lower fourth, lower fifth percentile. So all those things you just outlined, if you think about why you would outline it that way, that is to say that Florida State's not going to find its running game this week against Miami. Well, you know, I, I, did you read the tweet from David Hale? No. Who we've had Hold on, on the show. Hold you read on. a tweet? I read a tweet. How about that? No. Who, who faxed it to you? <laughs> It was a voicemail message. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, because there's no way you actually read the tweet on Twitter. That is true. But I, And I forget what even David said. David's been on our show numerous times, a good friend of the program. Uh, he said something about be aware and always things are stranger. And then his last thing was Cam Akers rushes for 200 yards. Oh, I did see that one, actually. It and, was it was some of the effect of Florida State's running for negative four yards per carry. And Miami allows negative six yards per carry. So expect yeah. Cam Akers to go for 200 yards. And obviously, I, I read, did I read that correctly? Uh, did I read that as sarcasm? Yes. Okay, yes. I read it correctly. So I, I'm doing well on Twitter this week. How about that? Point being, it it, it might take something like that. And, and I'll be honest with you, uh, and everybody thinks you're crazy when you mention this, but that could happen. We've seen that happen in the Miami game where a, an individual player, I'm re- referenced Ponder in 08, he was a great athlete, but he had not been running the ball well or much at all, and he rushes for 100 and something yards in that ball game. You mentioned uh, Chris Thompson. He runs for 80. They call it back. Very next play, he goes for 90. What is the likelihood that's happening in any game? But we've seen those types of things happen in the Miami game. Not suggesting that it will, but at the same fashion, same time, it wouldn't surprise me if it did. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And so let's go a little bit deeper on this. Talking about last week's game, obviously Florida State's secondary. There were a lot of guys running free at times. But – what we haven't seen in a while is that Harlan Barnett is very aggressive as a defensive coordinator. And as the old saying goes, Keith, I mean, you either get them or you're going to get got, right? So you're either going to get home or somebody's going to be running free. Well, guess who else has that same philosophy? Manny Diaz. Yes, and sir. so if you time it right, if you have a screen called at the right time, if you have the right play called against six or seven, well, guess what? Now Terry's one-on-one with a corner, and he's got him beat by two steps, and you get a 70-yard touchdown. It can happen on that side of the ledger, too. No question. And by the way, for those that are listening that watched the Louisville game and are really upset with our safety play, I will tell you, I've gone back and looked at some of those plays, and those mistakes are easily correctable. They were players out of position. The reason they were out of position is they were looking at the wrong thing. That's easily correctable. It wasn't busted assignments, and it wasn't because we don't have – kids that are fast enough to stay with the Louisville receivers. So that's easily correctable. So they correctable. were focusing on the wrong keys. Exactly. That's easily correctable, again, in my opinion. Doesn't mean Miami can't exploit it and make it happen because they've got better receivers than do Louisville. But I'm not concerned about those breakdowns now that I've gone back and looked at them. You mentioned David Hale, and I don't know if the story's come out, but he contacted me a week or two ago. He's working on a story that's the 30-year anniversary of the Seminole Rap, which is another chapter of this history, which, historically speaking, was my very first game as a Florida State student was 31 nothing Miami in 1988. And when I arrived in Tallahassee, I think the station was Z103, if I have that right. And it played the Seminole Rap, I swear, every six songs. That is all you heard from August 20th until whatever date that game was and then you never heard it again it just disappeared from airplay forever because of what happened in that game but you know they've played it at practice this year 
Well, I don't know if they played it this week. Maybe Tim will know. The statute of limitations has expired, so now we can talk about this, and it's just a footnote, and you don't feel the emotional thing. I, I've said this before, though, Keith. So that uh, you know that was a tough start, but the next week Southern Miss comes in, and Dion gets a pick six off Brett Favre, and the next week after that, I was at the first for the punt Ruski game. So I mean, it was a pretty good hat trick to start my career. At and by the way, that that second game, the Dion off of Favre, that was the first live broadcast for one Sunshine Network that became Sun Sports, and that was my first game with Paul Kennedy. And thus was born the name Primetime Knowles from Primetime's Pick 6. See the things you learn listening to Front Row Knowles? The things that that will be inconsequential in your life in a mere matter of moments or even shorter. But maybe help you win a bar bet. Perhaps. Speaking of bars and restaurants, Madison Social, Township, Centrale, they're friends of the program. We invite you, encourage you, coerce you to go Demand visit. that you go. Go visit our good friends. Tell them that uh, we sent you their direction. Speaking of good friends, our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt, joins the program next. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. He's got his lighter up. All is good here in the studio, and it means it's time to talk to our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt, via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Tim, I, I mean, I like that song the first time around, and now it's growing on me because we're hearing it every week. I like being in a routine like this. I feel like we're going to be hearing it a whole lot more, buddy. There you have it. Uh, Guaranteed victory for Florida State. Thanks for joining us, Tim. We'll talk to you again next week. All right. Yeah, you guys take it easy. So now that you've got that guarantee, how's it going to happen? Lay it out for us. <laughs> we probably should back it up a little bit, huh? Maybe, maybe. Let's back it up just a little bit. Uh, well, let me ask you this then. So we know that Louisville is not the most, not the best football team in the country, nor is Florida State at this point. But what's the significance or what can be the significance of a rally like that to win, to come back at, at points when, frankly, this team would have quit over the last couple of years and to ultimately steal, or, well, Willie didn't use the word steal, but to get a victory like that over Louisville? No, I mean, I think it shows you you can do it, right? Uh, and and now, you know, if you're looking for something to rally around, I mean, there's, I mean, how, how many circumstances do you, are there now uh, in a game where you don't feel like uh, you can come back and win? I mean, you know, what's what's crazy about that game to me was, I mean, obviously the end game sequence with AJ Westbrook and the interception and then the, the pass to Michael Murray, that all just was uh, a stunning development. Uh, you know, the whole sequence there was really something else, but. You know, that game to me just sort of felt like dead in the water. Like it was just a malaise uh, late in the third quarter, and you just sort of felt like if both teams were kind of playing out the string at that point, it was kind of disappointing. And then um, all of a sudden, you, know, you drop back and throw it to, to Murray and Terry for that touchdown on the first play of that drive. And, uh, and all of a sudden, it just kind of woke everything up. It certainly woke Florida State up. I think it might have woke Louisville up a little bit, too. Uh, and then all of a sudden that set the stage for a, a pretty exciting uh, fourth quarter. But uh, I think just to show those guys that, that they have it, that, uh, that you know, uh, if, if there's a circumstance that, uh, that doesn't look so great, does not necessarily mean the game is over. They, they have it in them to, to, you know, dig deep and rally. And uh, in the immediate future, I think it just gives you an opportunity to make, uh, for starters, this game at Miami, uh, and then subsequently the rest of the season uh, really matter. 
you know, we'll see how the uh, the conference race uh, shakes out. I mean, Clemson, if you ask me, I've vulnerable a couple times uh, this season. Um, and, uh, you know, right now you have two conference losses, and that's a tough thing to overcome. But you at least have a situation where, you know, you're going to Miami. Well, of course, this game's significant in and of itself. But, um, you know, if you start looking at that and looking at you're able to go down there and be successful, all of a sudden the, the tone of this season changes, I mean, a ton, right? And so uh, you at least have an opportunity to, to make something like that happen. Tim, a lot's been made, and and even Bobby Petrino in his post game comments admitted that uh, throwing the ball in that situation when uh, when the the interception occurred probably not the wisest of decisions. But the the thing that stood out to me and Tom, you interviewed him uh, after the ball game, was that uh, Kyle was talking about he had seen the, the, a, a hand signal between the tight end and the quarterback, something going on. That really jumped out at me because one of the things we haven't said about this football team is that they're very football savvy. They don't necessarily have a high football IQ. But in that particular play, they picked up on something that that got their attention. In this case, Kyle Myers jumping a route to the not, not Kyle Myers, A.J. Westbrook. A.J. Westbrook, I'm sorry, yeah. A.J. Westbrook. Jumping the, the route to the tight end, that was pretty impressive to me. No, I agree completely. Um, and, you know, that, that goes back to him being a senior. I asked about that uh, after the game. Uh, you know, basically saying like you, you know, you know that now is that something that you know maybe you would have noticed or a younger guy would notice uh, two years ago, three years ago, and he said and he sort of said you know man I've seen a lot of stuff you know you, when you uh, when you you hear long enough you see pretty much everything and so yeah I mean it was it was you know totally tipped him off uh, to what was coming and 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 full credit to him for I mean you watch the play uh, and watch it developing and zoomed out I mean he 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 stays disciplined and you I think your first instinct and you think. You, um, you think the run's coming, and so he's you know wants to come up and and uh, and support the run defense. But instead, um, you know he he stays back, analyzes the play real quick, and then sees it coming. And I think uh, Joan passed did him a favor um, by uh, by pretty much staring down that uh, that target on the field uh, the whole time. But I mean, it's it's a veteran player, right? I and mean, we talked about him in uh, in fall camp, and you were asking me about AJ and Kyle Myers, and uh, you know what they were able to bring to the table and, and kind of hold off some of the younger players. Man, well, that's it. Uh, you know, like like some some savviness, uh, some ability to to kind of read between the lines and 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 you know pick up on something that that maybe isn't immediately obvious to those of us watching it live. So I mean, that's that's the difference in the game, if you ask me. Um, and then also the fact that he uh, he is able to hang on to the ball and not just uh, drop it out of pure shock. Well, if, that, and if he hadn't if he hadn't tripped, he would have scored. If he hadn't yeah, tripped, yeah, he would have yeah. scored. Yeah. So the good news is Florida State's offensive line did not allow a sack against an ACC foe for the first time since the 2014 ACC championship game against Georgia Tech. No sacks allowed against Louisville. The bad news is it sounds like we may not have the same offensive line again, or it may not. Well, I know it's not going to be 100% healthy. What can you update us? Uh, what's the update there? Well, uh, all I know, uh, I, don't, I don't know about Landon Dickerson's status. We'll talk to Willie Taggart tomorrow morning, and, uh, and I'm sure he'll give an update. But, uh, but all I can say is that uh, at least during the open portion that uh, the media was allowed to see on Tuesday and Wednesday, I uh, didn't, didn't notice him out there. Uh, so uh, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean anything. I, you know, I could certainly see uh, a situation where after that game on Saturday, they decided to give him some days off and just give him some work later in the week. Uh, you know what he can do. So, I mean, I, you know, I certainly can hold out a possibility that that's the case. Um, but, uh, you know, they, the fact is you know, we hadn't seen him out there those, those first two days. Uh, if you do want some good news, uh, is that uh, it sounds like Derek Kelly is making strides. Uh, you know, Willie Tiger said earlier this week, I guess it was Monday, that, uh, that he's day-to-day and that, you know, doing well in his recovery. I uh, didn't see him out there on Tuesday, but he was out with the team practicing on Wednesday. Uh, didn't have any, uh, any, anything noticeable 
that he was wearing in terms of uh, you know, preventative gear or anything like that. Wasn't in a blue non-contact jersey, anything, and it was you know moving around. So uh, so we'll see. Uh, it would be great to get him back. Obviously, you'd, uh, you'd love to be in a situation where you could have both of those guys uh, back and available. But uh, you know, a little bit of good news and, and potentially a little bit of bad news. But I'm still, I still think it's uh, you're safe to cross your fingers on uh, on Landon Dickerson and see how these next few days go. So the popular fan refrain this week, Tim, has been that FSU should just be a run-and-shoot team and just throw the ball every down, which is not going to happen. But how do you think Florida State tweaks its plan, or how can it tweak its plan to take advantage of the fact that they're having success passing while continuing to try and find some slivers of success in the running game? I mean, I don't know that they're going to tweak a whole heck of a lot, to be honest with you. Um, you talk to those guys, uh, Willie Tiger, Walt Bell, and then some of the offensive players, man, they are they – are committed uh to running the ball and i don't think they're going to get away from that i think that's, that's part of the identity that they want to establish uh, for this team and i you know listening to you know willie said it probably a hundred times and that you know this offense can't be you know what it's supposed to be without you know at least having the threat of uh, of the running game and you know i get it um that, you know I think there's a lot of frustration uh, with the, with the lack of a running game but you know they they believe and then i think it's a you know it's a defensible point that um even if it's not having a lot of success, you're at least making the defense account for it. Um, and then, you know, bear in mind also that if, you know, the offensive line has, has borne a lot of criticism, especially uh, in pass protection. I thought they were actually pretty good in that respect against Louisville. But, you know, the idea, if, if you're still thinking that the offensive line is, is going to struggle, um, you know, in pass protection, I don't know that the solution to that is to <laughs> make them have to do it, you know, 50 times a game, right? Uh, so uh, I don't know that there's going to be a whole lot of tweaks. And, um, I think it's just, you know, kind of a matter of, of, of keep working at it and, and hoping it gets better. Tim, what do you think Florida State defensively can do against this Miami offense with, with what is now their new starter uh, in um, in Perry, the kid from o- Ocala? I, and I think you probably kind of treat them a little bit like you did uh, Jawan Pass. You know, I think they're going to send a lot of pressure. I think we, we know that they uh, – we know that they like to blitz, uh, that they like to get after the quarterback. And I think in uh, a situation with Perry, I mean, we know he's a good player, uh, but a redshirt freshman quarterback uh, making his first start in a in a you know a big time game like this is significant. I know he did well against North Carolina and didn't have to do a lot, uh, but I think you probably try to come after him um, and uh, and see you know how he handles it, see how he does. Um, you know you'd like to see that pass rush uh, get home. We were talking to Harlan Barnett this morning. Uh, they did have four sacks against Louisville. It's nothing to sneeze at, but I think they probably felt like they should have had more. And there are so many plays um, on that game Saturday where it seemed like they were just a split second behind. And uh, and he was asked about uh, you know how do you how do you get there quicker, <laughs> and then, which is which is kind of a tough question to answer, right? I mean, how do you get there quicker? Well, I don't know. You just do it. And uh, he sort of laughed. Well, I guess maybe we should uh, work with Usain Bolt and uh, see about you know adding, uh, adding another step or another gear. Uh, but I think that's probably the, uh, the solution there. I don't necessarily like Florida State's chances if they only rush three or four and sit back in coverage. Um, I, I would rather see them uh, apply pressure and, and hit him. Uh, get physical with them and, and try to make him as uncomfortable as, po- as possible um, and see if you can get a redshirt freshman to kind of struggle with that. Um, and then if that doesn't work and then he's able to beat those blitzes, uh, then you evaluate from there. Tim, it's that time of week again. Are you ready? I'm ready. You are coming off two stellar back-to-back performances. Unbelievable performance. going to be hard to maintain this clip, but let's grade your rapid-fire performance from last week. Will there be a 100-yard rusher this week for FSU? Nope. Will FSU lead after the first quarter? Yes. Number of touchdowns scored by Tamari and Terry, and I'll set it at one and a half. Under. 
as we're going to uh, a state known for its bourbon, uh, will Keith Jones and yours truly perhaps have some bourbon? Over. Will these teams combined score 63 or more points? I don't think so. Will these teams combined score 20 or more points? Yeah. Will there be a penalty on a punt return for Florida State? Man, I hope not, but probably. Number of touches for Trayshawn Harrison this week. The over-under is five and a half. Under. How many Florida State players will be carrying a football around next week? Two class, <laughs> two meetings, and everywhere else. Uh, Over-under one and a half. Over. See that, Tim? I mean, you missed two because you were convinced there were going to be too many turnovers and too many flags on the punt returns. Yeah, well... Uh, you doubt are you. You doubt are you. I do defensible at the time, I feel. I do want to set the record straight. Amazingly, Keith Jones did not have any bourbon on Friday night. But yeah, I had, what was going on with Keith on Friday? We I don't know, but I had enough to constitute over still when you did the average. So you, we gave you that one. All right, here we go for this week. Cue the band. Let's get, uh, let's get Tim going. So this is yes, no. Will Miami have a reunion of one of its national championship teams on the field before the game on Saturday? <laughs> no. No. Okay. Well, that's that's. I, I didn't think you'd go that way. All right. Will there be a hundred yard rusher for FSU? No. Turnovers by FSU, and I'm setting the over under at two and a half. Committed. Committed by. Uh, under. Turnovers forced by FSU. Same over under two and a half. Under. Will Ibis be wearing a turnover chain? Yes. Over. Will he at some point do something to a backpack? Oh gosh. Uh. Yes. Number of Florida State players, this is a repeat question from prior weeks, who will take a snap at quarterback? Do I get an over-under or I just got to pick a number? Well, yeah, you got to pick a number. You got to pick a number because, <laughs> I mean, where am I going to? One. You, one, okay. Uh, I was an usher at Pro Player Stadium my senior year of high school, and I made minimum wage. Was the minimum wage over or under $4 at that point? Ooh, under. Tune in next week. Keith Jones. I like we answer that one first now. of all, this is a true false. The longest punt return recorded by Keith Jones in his playing career came against Miami. True false? Correct. I say true. And it was over plus was it over or under ten yards? Over. All right, we'll revisit that next week. Keith, you got anyone to add? I have faith in Keith. <laughs> oh, here's the last one. Unfortunately, this happens. Yes, no question. Will Miami fans shake the Florida State team buses on the way in or out of the stadium? Uh, no, they won't. Okay. All right. So they'll beef up security and we'll be all right. Tim, uh, there's, you know, we're going to leave our listeners hanging because I know they're on the edge of their seat wanting to know the longest punt return in Keith Jones history and how much I made. The year was 1987, by the way, so you can look it up. That's all we got. You got anything for us? I think we're pretty good. All right. He's our Seminoles.com insider. Thanks, Tim. You got to guess. More to come on Front Row Knowles after this. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Online at ctf.nu. Here's Tom and Keith.
Back on Front Row Knowles. Thanks, as always, to our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Lenefeld. He's a good sport. He puts up with us every week. I really don't listen to what he says because I'm too busy trying to come up with rapid-fire questions, so I leave it all to you, for the record. Well, <laughs> look out. Here comes a tree. <laughs> that is a true story that I worked as an usher at what was then, this is like nine names ago for that building. But That, that stadium is has been and will always be Joe Robbie Stadium. And that's what it was when I worked there because he was still alive and owned the Dolphins. And since then, it's been Pro Player Stadium and Pro Player Park and Sun Life Stadium and 16 other things. Wasn't and, it named after a, a beer? And now it's... A, uh, Margaritaville or what was, Lone, Lone, what was the name of that beer? Uh, Jimmy Buffett Lone, beer. Was it Lone Shark for a little while? Lone Shark or... I don't know. Land Shark? Land Shark. Land Shark, yeah. I Obviously, I don't drink that beer, but I know you're... Yeah, it was. I, there's been like 19 names. Yeah. Uh, now, I like the name. It's got the Seminole name on it. Seminole Hard Rock, right? Well, technically, it's Hard Rock Stadium, not Seminole Hard Rock, but who's, who's, who's counting? I'm pretty sure I got a picture that has Seminole in it. I'll see. That's Miami. So, the question becomes... The, the, the main question, we just asked Tim this. How does Florida State run the ball? And, and or I guess coming at it from a Florida State standpoint, even if you can't run the ball successfully, you can't not try to run the ball. Here's, here's an analogy for you. I didn't create it, so you can judge it, and then I, I won't even tell you who the author of it is. We talk all the time about how when you get matchups on the outside, you got to take some shots downfield. So even if you take 10 shots down the field and you only get one or two of them to hit, you either get a touchdown or a long game. And, and we're comfortable with a 20% success ratio. Shoot, you know, taking the ball down the field. With, particularly with Cam, but to a lesser degree with Patrick, they have big play capabilities. So if you run 10 running plays and you're satisfied with only two of them getting you 12 or 15 yards, that's about what where Florida State's at now. Now, they haven't had the 12 or 15-yard play, but they're running them with players in, that, that are capable of doing that. So why would you abandon it just like you would not abandon taking the shots down the field? That's the analogy or the theory that, that also supports not abandoning the run. Willie's run game is predicated on play action as well. I mean, when you look at the more vertical routes, when the offense starts to run the ball, and I realize that may not be this week, then more of those long vertical routes are going to open up because the play action is going to hold everybody. They're going to be dialed into the run. Right now, the combination is bad because the run game hasn't been successful. And two other things that are affecting it is poor decisions by DeAndre, you know, in, in, the, in the read option or, or the run pass option. He's not been consistent in making the right decision. And secondly, as, as Coach Taggart talked about during the week, the running backs have been overly aggressive. They, they've been trying to do a little more than they should. And so you, you add all of those things together, and, and Matthew pointed out, thank you, Matthew, that uh, the David Hale uh, tweet that we were referencing earlier had to do with the number of tackles for loss that Miami had as a defense and that Florida State had given up as an offense and further elaborated on the fact that Cam Akers has – the least amount of yardage before contact of any power five running back in the country. In other words, he's being hit in the backfield dang near every play. So any yardage he is getting is after the after the first contact. But you got it you can't as you talked about, you just can't abandon it. You gotta keep doing it. For no other reason, Tommy, and this sounds terribly, terribly bad, but to keep that clock running and don't give Miami's offense 
15 or 16 possessions. Let's limit them to 12 or 13 and play the odds about what the percentage of the score is going to be. I also think we have seen a change the last two weeks. Early on, we saw negative yardage first down plays, and the result was third and 13. And now even when you get two yards on first and two yards on second. At least it's second and eight or, or third and six. Third and six is more manageable. Correct. Um, I do think there's really nice weapons emerging in the FSU pass game. We anticipated that they would be. Trey McKitty's going to be really good. Terry is really good. He Now, he dropped two balls last week. To be fair, I think he dropped the touchdown pass. The one that was over the middle that he dropped, I think somebody got a hand in on that one. Um, but he blocks away from the ball. We saw it on the Nooney touchdown. But just in general, I mean, he's a physical presence. No question. And 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 DeAndre can, you know, is is – uh, folks like to say he can sling the ball, he can throw it around, uh, and and he's not blocked in on just one receiver. He'll distribute the ball to whoever's open. The key there is for him to remain upright and, as you've talked about appropriately, continue to improve in his pocket presence in terms of moving up, shuffling his feet. Uh, he, he does have a, an inordinate number of balls that are batted at the line of scrimmage, in my opinion. Uh, a lot of that has to do with your arm, sl- arm slot. You know, if you've got somebody right in front of you, don't try to throw it over them, throw it around them, and also moving up in the pocket, as you pointed out. He's got to run this week. I, I think I think he's got to run this week. At least try, even even if it's only two yards, you know, six times. We've seen a few quarterback draws. You've got to mix some of those in off of the, off of the zone read. You know, bootleg isn't really part of this offense per but they, se. But they can run the bootleg out of it. I yeah. mean, you know, that, that's not – you know, w- w- we heard and we've seen, and this frustrates old-timers, but when it's third and one, I want the, I want the quarterback under center or fourth and one. I want him under center. Well, Willie just flat out said they don't do that. He's going to be in the shotgun hey, It's not just Willie. One. It's these offenses. Right. Yeah. And, and so they don't normally run the bootleg or the rollout, but at least they can. It's not like it's prohibited like the fourth and one with the quarterback under center. So they just need to call it more. Willie just needs to call it more. The block at the rock that you referenced earlier, that was not the end of the game. Florida State had to get a first down, if you recall, two years ago to run out the clock. And the way they did so was a bootleg by DeAndre Francois that went for like 16 yards. And then Miami was out of timeouts. And that so... Now, that was back his freshman year. This was also a game where he was in and out of the injury tent like four times, and he became the post. That This game against Miami two years ago was when he became the poster child for he's getting hit way too much. No question. So I just think he's got to run it some. But you also like, and every Florida State fan of 35 years of age or under will, will yelp when I say this, but you'd love to see Cam in, in the Wildcat a little bit. Well, you know they practiced it because we saw it against Virginia Tech, and we haven't seen it since. So there's something there. I, that That's as much to get Cam going. I mean, maybe if Cam executes the read option better than DeAndre, maybe he actually can spit one out if he holds on to it, you know? I don't know. We've seen that there's been a propensity to try some trick plays. They haven't worked thus far this year. But I'm on board with having something like was, that in there. Was Nooney going to throw that ball? He, uh, Nooney was – there was one early in the game Nooney was going to throw. The one near the end of the game Nooney was going to pitch back – to DeAndre to throw it. So that one was a double a double reverse flea flicker, if you will. But both times, Nooney wisely, because it wasn't there, he just swallowed the ball. That's probably, as crazy as it sounds, but that Louisville game was probably the most disciplined game I've seen him play in his career. And the asterisk there is 
do you feel any more confident that you're going to see that consistency no. this week? No, I'm just commenting and applauding the fact that he did. And that's where we all are, <laughs> and I would love to see it. I would love to see it because when he when he does what he's supposed to do, he can be that kind of game changer. He was a game changer. He really was. And I mentioned this in our Sunday show, and we'll go to break. Uh, two touchdowns against Louisville this past week, and I'd forgotten he had two touchdowns against Louisville last year too. So Bobby Petrino and company are tired of seeing Nyquan Murray, I can assure you. All right, we'll come back. Some uh, more to come still ahead on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, and we will fire up that Earl Bacon Agency hotline once more. The Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together, and say hello to a guy we've known a long time, the longtime voice of the Miami Hurricanes, Joe Zagacki. Joe, how you doing? I'm good, Tom, KJ. How are you guys? We're 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 happy that we have a victory, and we're not so happy about who we're playing this week. <laughs> think, think well, you know, I, I, we are happy. I think I am happy that it, it feels like the roles are reversed from what they were the previous seven years. However, uh, you guys have been around this rivalry as I have for a long time, and I know that one. There's one thing about this rivalry. Uh, the rankings don't matter, and the records don't matter. If you look at the last four years, I think the last four games have been decided by, what, 12 or 14 total points. So that's what I'm expecting, another close shave. And that's the way it's been historically. You know, we talk at Florida State a lot of times, particularly going back to the Bobby years, Miami was always the measuring stick for for FSU. Does, does Miami look at FSU as the measuring stick? I mean, this, I guess no, I'm asking yeah, the signature. No, no. Yeah, go ahead. No question. Yeah, no question. I mean, uh, you know, I think if you win the Florida State game, that gives you, it makes your season one way or the other. It's something you can hang your hat on. I think Miami and Florida State, I talked about this with Coach Rick the other day, that they've always paralleled each other, starting with the late 70s when Florida State started making appearances in the Orange Bowl game. And, and really, uh, Bobby Bow and Howard Schnellenberger, I don't know that they, if they ever got enough credit for what they did for football in the state. And it all started with the Miami-Florida State game. And uh, for the most part, since, what, 78, 79 in that era? Well, Howard got here in 79. So since 79 all the way to now, for the most part, Miami and Florida State have almost been identical. Now, there have been years where Miami's been a little bit better and years where Florida State has been better, but... Overall, they've been pretty close. That's why the series is thirty-two to thirty. We 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 mark that uh, line in the same. We call it the Keith Jones era. He's he's really when the uh, <laughs> when the series took off, Joe. <laughs> uh, uh, down here we call it the DBJ era. Don Bailey. <laughs> there you go, <laughs> Joe. What what what? Now that you're in year three, um, what what's Mark meant to this program, and and what where do you see it going? Well, he's meant everything. He's given them credibility. He's given them continuity. Uh, I think what you see is that players trust the coaching and and therefore the program is going forward. And I, I think the, probably the biggest thing, KJ, is that um, uh, the administration has trust in Mark Rick. And therefore, you've got the new indoor facility. 
and you're getting a new locker room and all those other things. And, you know, you just can't not be involved in the arms race because when players come on campus, they have to know that it's important, that, uh, that they are important. And the way you prove that they're important is with uh, all the bells and whistles. And, you know, you can't bring in a kid who's going to be a first-round draft choice in three or four years with his mom and dad and not be up the shelf or up the par with everybody else. So I think uh, from that perspective, uh, Coach Rick has meant that. He's been able to convince the administration uh, to, to let him swing a bat uh, that's equal to everybody else. He doesn't need the Louisville slugger, but he certainly couldn't go out there and play with a wiffle ball bat. So I think Miami's on fairly even terms uh, with the facilities and all of those things. And then when it comes to uh, just the game management and the players and their roster management, I promise you, four or five years ago, there were probably 35 guys on this roster that did not belong playing uh, football at the University of Miami. And that has been whittled down where they now have a very complete roster and a very competitive roster. You see that on the practice field. And I think we're going to start seeing the results uh, marching forward. Speaking of the players, have you, have you found your quarterback? Uh, for now, they have, yeah, Nikozi Perry. Now, it's going to be his first start in this series, but uh, I just think that Coach Rick probably, uh, after uh, going through last year with Malik Rozier in the beginning of this year and has been trying to guide and mold Nikozi Perry, found a little opening uh, on the, uh, in the schedule where he could get him into the game and know that the entire game wasn't on his shoulders, and then he wants to see how he would react. And, uh, you know, I think the kid had that epiphany moment uh, in the FIU game uh, last week against North Carolina. Didn't have to do a lot, but what he did do was was good enough uh, to convince Coach Rick to declare this week without any hesitation that he's the starter. So I think he brings a dynamic part to the offense and and probably more accuracy uh, to the offense than Rozier. The one thing that I think everybody, Coach Rick was looking at is uh, for, for Malik's deficiencies, which was accuracy, he found a way to win. And yet there has to be something uh, said about that. He found a way to win games. But right now he's all in on Nikozi Perry. Now, Nikozi better know um, he's going to get harder than he's ever been hit in his life in this game on Saturday, and he better be prepared for it. We're talking with the voice of the Canes, Joe Zagaki. Joe, one of the interesting things uh, about and, – and you um, – accurately describe sort of the history of the football series but there's also been a lot of uh links between the schools when you look at you know ron frazier went to fsu and uh, became a legendary figure at the university of miami and leonard hamilton coached at miami and now he's been at florida state well manny diaz is another one of those guys and i know he's from south florida obviously but he's a florida state alum and now he's your defensive coordinator i, I the, the book on manny is that he's very aggressive uh and i think you see that on a week-to-week basis but uh what what have you come to know and, and learn about the way he coaches defense since he's been back in south florida well i'll tell you what he is really smart and obviously you mentioned he went to florida state and he was there and got received uh great tutelage from guys like mickey andrews and uh, absorbed all of that the way Florida State played defense. And under Mickey Andrews, that was a really aggressive style. He's born and raised in Miami. He watched Hurricanes football. He watched the way Jimmy Johnson played it, and not too different from the way Florida State played. And so when he got here, he said, I know what this, this state is made up of. I know what this area, Dave Broward and Palm Beach, is made up of. I know what Hurricane defense needs to look like, and that's what he coaches too. Uh, there's no question about that. Miami's very aggressive. 
They get across the line of scrimmage. They lead the nation in tackles for losses. Uh, turnover chain well documented. But it all starts up front, building a defensive line and creating negative plays. It's, it's, it's funny. It's the way kids down here want to play. You know, you watch all these high school games. I went to one uh, two weeks ago, St. Thomas and Central, and, and they look like they're playing Miami Hurricane defense. The ball is snapped, and guys are like, zoom, right to the quarterback. And uh, that's the way Miami wants to play. So it's high risk, high reward. Uh, he knows how the kids down here want to play. He wants this team to reflect Dade and Broward County. So that's, that's the way they play. They have bought into it. They like playing that way. And, um, you know, they've done a good job in recruiting uh, to build up uh, their secondary and, and getting guys with good range and speed. But I also think it's the way you have to play in college football today because uh, you get these high-powered offenses, no-huddle offenses. It's what Florida State aspires to be on offense. You know, in this game, Miami's got to put DeAndre Francois behind the chains. they got to make him second 15, second 17. And that's the way you got to play college football today. You've got to knock the offense back and you've got to knock them back on the early downs. The only way to do that is to get across the line of scrimmage. All right, Joe, your last question, most important question. Do you have a personal photograph with you wearing the turnover chain? Uh, I do have a turnover <laughs> chain. It was on the tour this year, the spring tour, raising money. I did have the turnover chain, but it's not the one they're using this year. I was going to say, isn't that actual value like thirty-five grand or something? I mean, you're not traveling like that these days, are you? No, no. I, I had it for you know ten seconds for a picture, <laughs> but now they've got a new turnover chain, and uh, and I actually think it's a pretty cool. I, I think they just should keep it going and change it every year, as long as they keep getting a bu- uh, bushel of turnovers. Yeah, well, it's worked well, and obviously the kids get excited about it. Joe, it's always good to catch up. Have a good call this weekend, and uh, begrudgingly, good luck to the Canes the rest of the way, except for Saturday. <laughs> All right. I appreciate that. Same to you guys. We'll see you Saturday, Joe. Good to talk to you. All right, Joe Zagacki, the voice of the Canes. He's He's been at it for a while. Uh, when I was growing up in South Florida, he wasn't the voice of the Canes yet. Sonny Hirsch was. Um, but he was covering Miami. He, he did uh, color commentary work for a number of years. Just good guy. Very good guy and uh, very good to our program. We always enjoy having him on. It's good perspective. Uh, I do not have a turnover backpack, by the way. Nor, nor do I. And for, and the players, for our listeners' benefit, I ain't going to have one. I don't like it. And they don't call it a backpack. It's the phrase securing the bag. But anyway, uh, I hope that they do get a chance to break the bag out several times this weekend, whether we like it or not, right? Um, just about time to wrap up. I'll get a final thought from you in a minute, Keith. I do want to mention that if you've got a do-it-yourself project that needs to be finished, go visit Ron and his knowledgeable staff at Cornerstone Tool and Fastener for all your power tool needs. Two locations to choose from, 1110 Stuckey Avenue and 3269 Crawfordville Highway. Call them at 580-1200 or visit them online at ctf.nu. And Tallahassee store open from 8 to 12 on Saturday. Which means you can get it done, get that project taken care of, or at least started before kickoff, 3.30 Saturday. There you go. Keith, good feeling, bad feeling, no bad, feeling? Bad feeling. Bad feeling. Bad feeling. Bad feeling. Hmm. Two touchdowns or worse. Well, that's what the point spread is. Wow. I went out on a limb, didn't I? You did. I'm sort of there with you. you know. And then we'll have to mop it up with our, our Front Row Knowles first look immediately following. It may be a lot of dead air. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully not, folks. Enjoy the game this weekend. Uh, we'll talk to you Sunday morning again next Wednesday. 